In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents Diet Starts Tomorrow with host Aileen Drexler. I'm having a relationship with my pizza. In a world where wellness looks perfect on Instagram. Just doing my workout. Tuesday's arms and back. But feels anything but in real life. Is butter a carb? Yes. This is the podcast exploring the emotional side of well-being. I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie. From people who understand the struggle. I am on the third day of my cleanse diet. Hello and welcome to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm your host, Aileen, and I am very, very excited about today's guest. Every millennial is going to be very excited, myself included. I'm a millennial. He is the most recognizable face of our generation, an actor, a writer, YouTuber, television star, and now author. We're going to be talking about his book, but welcome, Josh Peck. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to be here. And I'm so glad to know that you are just as lovely as you were when we met five years ago in in Cancun, Mexico. I okay, when you joined the we're we're recording virtually, but when you joined, I was like, oh my God, I hope he remembers. But we we were so for everybody listening, we went on a like a a client influencer trip and 20 what 16 was it i just I feel like it's totally like up until this point it would totally be feasible that two like millennial jewish new yorkers could have had <laughs> a wild weekend in cancun together like i all was of it that's only a possible. weekend it felt like longer but i think maybe you reminded me that we did stay longer <laughs> well it was this influencer trip to promote a tv show so they yes. enlisted you and your friends and me and and i got to bring my buddy and what were we doing? I mean, it was it was a good show. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a good show. They just had a crazy budget. They like had, they like constructed like a plane crash. Do you remember that on the beach? It was White Lotus. It, was, it they literally it took was. over the most gorgeous resort, like high end, and we all had the sickest rooms and I know activities, drinks. I went back there for my baby moon no. <laughs> last year. Yes, it was so fun. Oh. I mean, it was relaxing, but good. So you just had your first kiddo. I did. Yeah, she's six months old. Mazel. And you have a kid, right? He's three. Yeah, Max. Wow! Congratulations, dude. Congrats to you. So <laughs> my wife and I should have gone on a baby moon because it the one. And I'm a big proponent of like I hate when people think will try to say like, oh, you're gonna never sleep again when you have a kid. I'm like, who cares about sleeping? These kids are cute, but they do cramp your style a little bit for travel. Just a bit. I will say that. <laughs> Just a bit. I care about sleeping though, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So let's talk. I'm so excited to have you on our show, DST, and your new book. It's coming out March 15th, right? And it's called Happy People Are Annoying, which I'm very intrigued by this title <laughs> because... I think I agree. Happy people are pretty annoying, <laughs> right? I think I just grew up always assuming like happy people who are naturally happy either were 
like extremely attractive and or had like generational family wealth and or were like quarterbacks. And I was none of those things. And thus, I just felt like I had missed out on the lottery of happiness. And I didn't receive like the manual for life that so many mm-hmm. people seem to have. So can you share like what what did you write about? I think it's it's really about what I thought happiness was and then going through like my life for the last 20 years, it's been super public, right? And mm-hmm. that was kind of why I wanted to write like a quasi self-help book, just in the sense of, you know, self-help books are great, but I'm in this rare position where you can actually sort of say like, if I'm giving you a time in my life where I was going through something, most people were like, oh, I remember he was going through that. I watched it. Like I was watching him on Drake and Josh at that time or on social media. So I think there's rarely a time where people feel like they grew up with someone. And then that person's like, I faced a lot of challenges. I had to like be thoroughly uncomfortable with life and walk through it. And this is how I did it. And at the times where you were watching me from your living room, I was going home and, and, uh, and dealing with some real life stuff. Yeah. So what are some of those life stuffs? Because <laughs> you said that there's like some light things in there, but also some dark things. So I really want to know what, what's both. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I mean, this, this, uh, this pod's called diet starts tomorrow, right? So I, yeah. you know, obviously I was, you know, a hundred pounds overweight on television and sort of my awkward teenage years are in reruns. Whereas most people are able to sort of swear their family to secrecy and burn their yearbooks. So <laughs> I think it's like, uh, I think that that's a huge part of it was just dealing with the fact that like I was on television and doing this thing that I loved, but I was also introducing myself to the world in a body I didn't quite feel comfortable in and mm-hmm. navigating that and that being a part of my like teenage years and identity and uh, I think was, you know, certainly, um, you know, it, it was challenging. You were on it when you were 10, right? Like that's when you started? I started doing stand-up comedy when I was 10. Oh, when you were 10. How old were you when you started Drake and Josh? I, uh, I was on the Amanda show first when I was 13 and then eventually, oh, yeah. yeah, Drake <laughs> and Josh when I was 14. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't believe we're talking about this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> this is happening. You, we're, cause we're, I mean, I'm 35, so I'm sure I'm older than you, but like we're in the I'm, same age. How old am I? 33. I'm turning 33 in a week. Whoa. How did we never go to like a similar bar or bat mitzvah in New York growing up at that time? <laughs> I don't know. What town did you grow up in? And in, in the city. Oh, in the city. Well, maybe that's why I went, I was Long Island. Long Island, so those great my neck. circles. Roslyn. Roslyn, of course. It's where they make us. It's where they make our people. <laughs> so wait, so how long were you on the show for? We made uh, 60 episodes, so five, almost five years. Wow. So really formative years. Certainly. And so you're, you're saying you weren't comfortable in your body, but you were, yet you still went, you still put yourself out there. You, did, you said sure. you started stand-up comedy at 10 and you were on the show. So how did you get into it? Like what made you want to be on the stage, be in front of people, put yourself out there? I just think in growing up with a single mom, I saw how well she was able to sort of take over a room with a, with a joke or or with some form of entertainment. And, and mm-hmm. comedy is like a superpower. You know, it's like a magic trick. When you can do it well, people are like, oh my God, can you do another one? And, <laughs> and you know, the, people are a lot of, of, of you know, the, you can be too much of, of a lot of things. You could be 
too emotional, too nice even. I mean, all those mm-hmm. things are annoying, but rarely are you too funny. So, you know, <laughs> I just kind of, as soon as I saw that, like, being a chubby guy, it would behoove me to be the the chubby funny guy and not the chubby sad guy, I was sort of off to the races. And, and it just so happened that I had a little bit of natural talent and an ability in something that gave me confidence, which was beautiful at that time because I was pretty insecure. The mm-hmm. other side of it, though, was it was incredibly public. Like I was doing right. that thing in front of, you know, in theory, like millions of people. And a lo- I knew that a lot of people would fall. You know, we tend to marry ourselves to the image that we first fall in love with. So like Steve Carell will will always be one of our great actors. But for most people, they'll be like, oh, that's that's Michael Scott. Like he's always going to be the guy from The Office because they just know how they felt when they fell in love with that show. And I knew for me, people would associate me with being like the big funny guy. And it wasn't necessarily someone I wanted to be for the rest of my life. So do you feel that affected you after you left the show? Like, did you feel lost? Because I mean, even your character had the same name as you. Sure. Which by the way, thank God, right? Could you imagine like if I was walking around and people were calling me like, (laughs) you know, hey, Rufus, like at least now they... They know Charlie my name. Day said the same thing. I, I in in the um like an Always Sunny podcast. He's like, it's great. People just go, hey Charlie, and I know who they're talking to. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you have no idea how lucky I feel that they use her name. And by the way, there was like some weird Nickelodeon like legal fuckery after Drake and Josh, which was that where like because you know it was Keenan and Cal, Drake and Josh, the Amanda mm-hmm. show, and after that they were like, these kids cannot have their real name be the character's names anymore because then we don't totally own the character right because like i'm still josh so i'm so glad that i was like the last generation of 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 people who use their name but was it kind of a mind fuck afterward because you were like am i still this character who am i now that i'm kind of i've been my my teenage years on this show and now i'm in my typecast like how did you go about that after the show Sure. No, I never confused this character. Like I, I knew that I would be typecast to a certain extent and that there would be some unavoidable things. Cause at that time, like, and I don't even know if it's, it's still the case, but to be on kids TV, like there was no social media. Right. So it was just kind of, you were successful at that, but it didn't necessarily translate to where they were like, yo, let's give this kid a movie now or something. You yeah. were specific. Right. And I also lost weight on the show, right? So I I didn't wait to lose it. So I also like contended with this idea that people were watching me kind of, you know, in this new body. What made you want to lose weight while you were on the show? I really wanted to date girls. No, um, (laughs) I I mean, I was 17, right? So I I certainly noticed that I had been holding myself back socially and whatnot because I just was insecure and uncomfortable. And I was, I would like, you know, I would get invited to parties sometimes, but I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to alphabetize my DVDs and I'll, uh, I'll meet y'all <laughs> my CDs at another and DVDs. time. <laughs> um, but I think like there was that, there was also that naturally at that time, like bigger guys were typecast to two roles and that was like the bully or the best friend. There was no Jonah Hill or, or Seth Rogen at that time that were sort of non-traditional leading men. And so- mm-hmm. I knew that if I wanted to play the parts that I wanted to play and also just live life in a way that made me feel comfortable, 
I'd have to do something about it. And and that's specific to me. And I want to be careful of that because like I know people who are completely and utterly comfortable being bigger dudes. And I remember like as a kid, I'd see other kids in the pool who had a belly or something and they would not think twice while I'm there wearing like two t-shirts and like, you know, waddling to my towel so no one can see me. And, you know, yeah. those kids were superheroes. Like I, I was so impressed by the fact that they were, they, they weren't self-critical. They felt totally comfortable in their skin. So I think you can be bigger and feel 100% at peace. I just wasn't. You just weren't. Did it have to do with being in the spotlight? I'm sure it's synonymous. I mean, yeah, I think there's, but I, I, but I, I think I would have felt that no matter what, right? Like if I was a normal high school kid, I think eventually maybe I would have done something later um, or Mm -hmm. maybe sooner. I I don't know. I do know that when I started working professionally regularly on the Amanda show and Drake and Josh's, when I really put a couple pounds on because those snack tables, when you're on a TV show, oh my God, Mm. so good. You know, craft service, it's the best. Like this is free. (laughs) (laughs) Right. What about like being famous? Did that affect you in any way? What was it like after and then everybody knew you and constantly recognized you? It's so much more in the last 10 years that I get recognized. Like when we were on the show, no one watched it. Like, I mean, I I know we think people watched it. You watched it because you, or maybe you didn't, but like people our age and younger watched it. But that was it. Otherwise, like I remember I would like go to work and spend, you know, eight hours shooting this thing that I was like, this is so dope that I get to do this kind of comedy that I've loved my entire life. And then I go home to like my two bedroom apartment at my apartment complex and go watch hockey with my best friend, Len. Like mm-hmm. it, it wasn't some like, I feel like now, like if you're the kids from Stranger Things, the like right. on Friday night, if it drops on Netflix by Monday morning, you are living a different life. Yeah, but it, that's true. That wasn't the case back then. And I'm really grateful for it in that way because I got to sort of have some semblance of like normalcy. Because it felt like a career. Like you weren't like that. It wasn't like social media affected your right. career. It was that you got to work and be an actor and be a comedian and still kind of be a kid at the same time. I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. It, it just felt like you know, you, we all know those annoying parents who have their kids in like 11 club and travel sports teams. And I'm like, is this for you or for them? But like, <laughs> you know, yeah. and like, if you have a kid who's spending, you know, from 6am to 8am, they're practicing a sport. And then after school from three to seven, they're playing that sport. Like that's similar to what, like, I was just living this heightened, elevated experience for this really specific thing, but it could have easily been soccer or, you know, an instrument. It just happened to be this. Yeah. It feels like cat food has been the same forever. Smelly, boring, made of mystery ingredients. That's why you've got to try Smalls. Smalls cat food is protein-packed recipes made with preservative-free ingredients you'd find in your fridge. And it's delivered right to your door. Make the switch from kibble and give your cat a meal they'll love. We actually sent some to my friend who is fostering kittens and it is the only thing they will eat. It comes in these pate packages and you scoop it and you just feel like you're a chef for your baby kitties and they j'adore it. 
Your cute kitty is descended from ferocious desert cats who hunted live prey. Even if your cat prefers to nap all day, they still need fresh protein-packed meals for a balanced and healthy diet. Other brands fill their food with mysterious meat byproducts, artificial flavoring, and preservatives with names I don't even want to try to pronounce. After switching it up to Smalls, 90% of cat owners reported overall health improvements. That's major. The team at Smalls is so confident your cat will love their product that you can try it risk-free. That means they'll completely refund you if your picky cat won't eat their food. Now is the time to make the switch to Smalls. Head to smalls.com slash DST and use promo code DST at checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code DST for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code DST for 50% off your first order plus free shipping, baby. So in your book, you say that you felt like you had to be the funniest person in the room, which led to some confidence setbacks or some anger. Can you share about that? I just think I assumed that, you know, walking into a room overweight, like I was at a disadvantage, like it was, it was to my detriment and that I had to like immediately take over the room to like just be on level ground with everyone else. So I think it just became this defense mechanism, which really worked well for me and allowed me to become like this stand up and then eventually have my own show. But all these defense mechanisms eventually like they stopped serving us um, for better or for worse. So I, I don't think it was till later where I was like, what am I running from? <laughs> like, Why do I yeah. always have to be funny? And, and even in writing this book, like I was lucky. I, I knew I didn't want a ghostwriter for the book, but I knew I needed like someone to to bother about how to write a book because I just don't know how. And my buddy Ryan Holiday is like a 10-time bestseller, brilliant author. And and I asked for his advice and specifically about the chapter about losing weight. He's like, if you don't get honest here, no one's going to care. And so like you have to be willing to write this chapter to like the 16-year-old version of you who would cry reading it. And if you don't mm-hmm. think you've gotten there, then you should probably go back and, and try again. So what's something in that, that when you were writing sort of either made you extremely emotional or is there a story that you tell? I think just talking about all the things, you know, facing like just being uncomfortable in my own skin, having to hide away from, from people, closing myself off, those uncomfortable moments as a kid, you know, when you're like nine years old and a doctor is, is trying to scare the life out of you because they're like you've got the cholesterol of a 50 year old what's going on here and and instead of like looking at this isn't conscious and it's probably symptomatic of something going on deeper in inside this kid and um i just think it was yeah it was dealing with a lot of adult size emotions but through the lens of a kid and mm. um and i didn't really have the tools in which to deal with it so you're saying you were going through something beyond being uncomfortable in your body and you were using eating to cope with that? Sure. I think that's fair. You said you you were raised by a single mom. Like what what kind of things were you dealing with? Um, Yeah, I think being raised by a single mom, never knowing my pops, dealing with like a lot of financial insecurity growing up. And I, I think, you know, for me, especially why I embrace acting at such a young age was I went to performing arts high school in New York and some of the alumni were like Alicia Keys and Claire Danes and, oh, wow. and, and all these people that are so impressive. And 
I remember up until that point, I had like Jewish family members, you know, at, at Shabbat dinner who'd be like, yo, like this acting thing is cute, but like you're going to go to law school. And I was like, gotcha. Um, Cause it just didn't seem possible to like get to do the thing that I loved while also making a living. But as soon as I went to performing arts, I'm like watching these kids live my dream and also, you know, totally able to make adult money doing it. And I think that was why at a super young age, I was like, oh, this can give my family stability while doing something I love, you know, sign me up. Yeah. Do you think looking back that you could, with the right tools now that you have as an an adult, also mm -hmm. with a son, that you could wish you instead of went to losing weight, instead of that route, you wish you went the route of figuring out how to have confidence and loving your body instead? I don't think that could have come before losing weight. Okay. How come? Um, because I think that I needed to, I, I needed to physically alter my body. I, I was deeply, I deeply wanted to be a thin person. I mean, if I'm mm -hmm. being totally honest, and I don't know if that's just sheer vanity or I think there's a vain part of it. I think there's a part where I knew that as an actor, I'd never get the opportunities that I was seeking because I was so limited by what I was handed to as a business. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that once I got thin, I'd have to audition against Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, no, <laughs> he, didn't, he doesn't audition. Um, but you know, I certainly opened the pool uh, um, for a lot more competition in, in a good way. But yeah, I think like I needed to... I I don't I don't think I would have come to that realization had I not done everything within my power first to to try mm -hmm. to fix myself. Okay. Yeah. So say your son is in the same position yeah. as you. What advice would you give him? Like would you say you know, you don't need to lose weight to achieve whatever you want to achieve or would you say you tell me. <laughs> no one told me that. Like my mom, you know, I've got like a beautiful Jewish mother who was like, you're gorgeous no matter what. Like <laughs> he has another plate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Eat up. You know, I'm like, really ma thirds. Um, you know, no, my mom was so supportive. Like I, it was all within me. And so like, yeah, it's impossible because my son will never be in that position. Oh, and not that it's better or worse. It's just his, you know, I was, a part of my own circumstance. Like people always ask, like, would you want your kid to get into acting? And I say, for me, it, it had to happen because my mom was an, a, a single mom and she was doing her best. She was incredible, yeah. but she had a lot of challenges um, uh, put in front of her and raising a, a, a young man in New York city specifically, like there's a lot of things to navigate. So when I got a TV show at 13, it wasn't a second thought because we were able to just uproot our life and, and move to California. But my son conversely has, you know, two parents and a huge extended family, a lot of support, some more stability. And so he, I don't think will have to face it. He'll have to face his own challenges that are specific to him and valid. Mm -hmm. And I don't ever want to be that parent. And I'm very conscious of it. And tell me if you think about this, like, I don't even want to be that parent that's like, you think what you're going through is tough. Try being a 300 yeah. pounds on Nickelodeon, you know, like. You can't compare, that. right. No, yeah. like everyone is, you know, his experience is his and he deserves the dignity to feel that. 
but you know, yeah. So I don't, but I don't think he'll go through what I went through. I think his, his bent will be different. Yeah. So let's talk about the weight loss part. So what did you do to change? I don't want to make this into like, here's tips or whatever. None of that. Just like, how did, what life changes did you make and how did, over what period of time and how did that affect your career as an actor? I think like I, I started, I think it was the first um, 12 year old on keto. Um, I was <laughs> back then we called it Atkins. Um, no, I know. I, this show is called diet stars tomorrow. I know every diet under the sun. What, what was your child? Were you on childhood diets? Oh yeah. No, I made up my own. Meanwhile, watching my dad do Atkins and like eating so much cream cheese and Solid. like, I'm like, okay, this is healthy. <laughs> right. I was like, I once told my friend, I'm like, oh my God, I came up with the best diet. I was in middle school. You just need to eat turkey and drink diet Coke. Like that was a diet that I thought was healthy, but I grew up realizing, oh no, this was not healthy because <laughs> none of that ever worked. You just had so much information that you didn't know how to figure out like what is right, what is healthy, what isn't. There was so much of like that diet culture growing up, like fat free. But then you see your dad eating like uh, a t- Costco sized cream cheese and like thinking he's losing weight. I just, you know, so it was really hard growing up. But that said, all, your dad Atkins, seems like, I get you. your dad seems like a fun hang. <laughs> yes. We have a good time. <laughs> um, that sounds awesome. I, yeah, I, I, you know, uh, shout out Dr. Atkins, man, because he he got a bad rap because he basically created keto and everyone was like eating bacon. That's crazy. Um, but I know. yeah, I tried so many crash diets. They, they never worked. I always gave up the next day. I'd lose 10 pounds quickly because I was so overweight. But then eventually I would just because it, it wasn't sustainable. So I remember when I was like 17, I, I had acted in this movie called Mean Creek where I played like, I played a bully, but um, he was like this really misunderstood tragic character who winds up like showing throughout the movie that he's really misunderstood and dying for friends and has like this um, learning disability that, that, that inhibits him from being able to relate to people. And that's why he's always acting out in this way. And it was the first time I got to play this like really fully realized character. And it went to Sundance and it won Sundance and it just was like this wonderful moment. And I realized like, I'm not going to get this opportunity for another 10 years to play like a fully realized character like this. So I'm going to need to lose weight if I want to be able to transform. So I remember I was in New York. We would come back to New York for the summers and this was like July. And I just started, you know, eating a little less and moving a little bit more. And I've been through like the, I mean, I, you want to talk about ego deflation. Like I had no baseline fitness, right? Like a lot of guys who put on weight in their twenties, like, Oh, but I was an athlete as a kid. So when I start working out, it's not going to hurt that much. It was mm-hmm. so rough. Like, first of all, I had to lose <laughs> 60 pounds just to be able to work out. And then I would literally be like, you know, I, I remember my first trainer, shout out Ronaldo. He was like, you're going to do a push up today. And I was like, cute, except <laughs> Cool. Never done a push up, never will be able to. My arms will break. And he was like, No, no, you're going to do it from your knees. I was like, Cute, still can't, never will be able to. And he's like, Nah, I'm going to wrap a towel around your waist and literally hoist you. And you're going to use your arms for as much weight as you can push up. And we're going to start there. And I did that for, you know, six months. And then I was able to do it without the towel. And then eventually I was able to do them strict. And now I can do, you know, a a healthy amount, but that's how every, you know, 
there's only uh, Laird Hamilton has this great quote of um, there's only one day one, you know, there's only, you know, you only get to have your first day once. And that was my first day. And luckily, you know, almost 20 years later, I've been keeping it up. Pull-ups are still hard. Oh gosh. <laughs> pull-ups are, that was my 2020 goal was do one pull-up and then how did the it pandemic go? Hit. No, with the pandemic came. <laughs> oh, that's even worse because you could have just been at home. You could have gotten one. You could have been like a, a like you lived in a college dorm and get the one for the um, door. My frame. brother, my brother is like very fit. He sent me one of these. I'm like, I can't reach this. <laughs> I'm five feet tall. It's not happening. I'm like at home trying to like not go outside and get COVID. So a lot of people though, you're saying there's only one day one. A lot of people disagree because you know. Sometimes it's not sustainable because mm. then you're just like, oh, you know, the name of this podcast it starts tomorrow. It's always Monday. So what made it really sustainable for you? What made it last that that was your last or first day one? Yeah. And I guess like, you know, there certainly, but even I guess, yes, if, if you kind of start your diet on Monday and, and then you, um, and you, you have that cycle of, of constantly. Yeah. yeah I, I can understand that. I, but I think like that day one just looked like for me where I made this acceptance of the fact that I wasn't going to, I, I wasn't going to give it all up when I was human and hit up a Mr. Softy truck. Like I was going to have to live to fight another day and do better the next day. And, mm -hmm. and that became sustainable and I couldn't be ultra restrictive. I couldn't live in a world where the idea that I'd never, you know, that I wasn't going to get to eat a piece of bread that week. Um, yeah. But uh, really it became about like not macros, but calories. And I still do that to this day. And I've gotten pretty adept at basically I can eyeball everything. So I'm constantly like in my head doing just a running calculation of like, well, if I need, you know, 2000 calories to just like sustain life. And then yeah. if I work out, that's 500 to play with. So if I can stay under 2,500, I'm, I'm in good shape today. Yeah. All right. I love it. I love the honesty. So why do you think that people had such a strong reaction to you losing so much weight? I mean, I remember that really viral video you did, which is very funny. <laughs> what, what is it? I, I'm going in the morning and at that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why do you think there was like such a intense reaction to that? I think people were obsessed with weight. I mean, here we are, like I, I've, I, you know, I lost all this weight at 19 and granted I wrote a book about it, but we're still talking about it because people are obsessed with weight and image. And it's odd to see anyone lose a hundred pounds, especially someone you watch on television. Yeah. So I think mostly the majority of the reaction was fabulous and, and inspired and, and supportive. And then there were certainly people who were angry because they had married themselves to this image of me. And I had like, I think they somehow felt that I'd taken that guy away from them. And, you know, being the funny, you know, the big funny guy is synonymous with like a tradition of big funny guys, right? It's John Candy and Chris Farley, all these geniuses, not that I'm anywhere in their ranks, but I was certainly like in their ranks as far as size. And mm -hmm. So people felt like I had taken away this guy that they'd fall in love with and replaced him with someone who maybe even was threatening to them, right? Because inherently, you know, actors tend to be slightly physically threatening, right? Or at least like they make us insecure because I'm like, why aren't I that cut? 
it's like hard for me to watch Ryan Reynolds movies because he's just so damn good looking. <laughs> I'm like, how are you this funny and good looking? It, it should be one or the other. Um, he is very funny. I'm like, I know why I'm funny because like if I had this face, I'd be funny. You know, like if you had this face, you'd be funny too. Like, you know, that's what I want to tell Ryan Reynolds. But of course, he's gorgeous and perfect. But yeah, I think people watched me and it also kind of forced him to look at maybe areas in which they could maybe do some work and they didn't like that. Yeah. Thankfully, I've made my peace with like that my origin story, it's a part of who I am and yeah. And and you know, and the silver lining is that hopefully if I can be like quasi slightly inspirational at times to someone on their own journey of losing weight, like that means so much. Mhm. By the way, Tell I me. love the movie The Wackness. Much respect. <laughs> I went to see that with my friends. We saw it with our, and it was so good. Oh, wow. And I was just like, yeah, it was one of the best. So I don't know what you're talking about with the typecasting in the beginning because that's not like, uh, that's not, that was, I mean, yeah, it was funny, but it wasn't like, you know, but um, funny, right? No, I think like, I think The Wackness is certainly a movie. If for anyone who doesn't know, it's a Cindy movie with Sir Ben Kingsley and Mary Kate Olsen and Method Man and, and I did it right out of, of Drake and Josh. And so I feel like I was, those are the kind of roles that I love, like indie movies that um, sort of walk the line of, of drama with, with some laughs. And, and I think, yeah, if I can do more of that, I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be opposed. It was great. New York City. Come on. Marijuana. Shout out marijuana, <laughs> man. Wait, okay. So speaking of marijuana, I didn't even mean the segue. Please. But you also spoke or you gave the overview of your book and you talk about addiction your relationship with addiction yeah. right can you talk about that is that part of the dark times that you shared certainly i mean i think at like at at 18 years old when i lost 100 pounds and realized i was sort of the same mind but in a different body that i uh that i i needed something else to sort of numb my feelings and and serve you know, what food was serving in my life. And so when I found drugs and alcohol, I was like, wow, this is so much more efficacious and less calories, maybe not alcohol, but the drug part. And, mm-hmm. and I also was stoked to be like positively typical and like just another knucklehead kid doing, you know, acting, um, in, in a way that, that wasn't exactly, um, I, that you wouldn't want your parents to find out about because most of my life had been spent being professional and being on my mark. And I felt like yeah. I'd missed out on this time. So at 18, uh, certainly the wheels popped off a bit because I felt like I was making up for lost times. And I'm just glad there weren't camera phones then. Right. <laughs> I mean, because I'm literally outing myself in this book. So many people were like, we had no idea about this. And I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have said anything, but. Well, what about it? Like, did you were saying you drank too much or you partied too hard for a long period of time or a short period of time? From like 18 to 21, I was, yeah, it was just like a positive cliche, like going to the clubs, drinking the drinks, doing the drugs, um, mm-hmm. acting in ways that I, I wouldn't want my uh, my son to, to have seen me act like. I, I just, yeah, I was... Um, I was on a, I was on a, almost a four year vision quest trying to like figure out if I was this guy. Like I knew I didn't want to be the chubby, funny guy, but maybe I was like cool, misunderstood drug addicted actor guy. And yeah, it took me a couple of years to realize that wasn't me either. 
How did you figure that out? What made you realize I, that? I just had a lot of bad. I, you know, I talk about in the book. I ruined my relationship with Judd Apatow. Shout out, Judd. Much respect. Thank you. Wait, I want to hear. What did you do? <laughs> so when I was nineteen, I, I finished filming Drake and Josh, and I went to go. I booked this movie, this Judd Apatow movie, and and he's always just been like the greatest guy. And I feel like weird even saying talking about this story, which I've, I've now told a bit because it's in the book. But I feel like to have omitted his name and just have said like some very powerful producer wouldn't have the same oomph to the story where you're yeah. like, no, Josh, no. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm now I'm very intrigued. <laughs> but he's always been the best. And, and, and he's always, uh, you might say, had an appreciation for, for a funny Jew such as myself. And so I auditioned for this movie called Drill Bit Taylor. And he was like, you know, you're not right for the part you auditioned for, but you're funny. Um, so I'm just going to write in a small part for you in this movie. And we're just going to figure out a place to put you and come hang out, write, write jokes for other people. You know, there's really funny people in this movie, Owen Wilson, Danny McBride and his wife, Leslie Mann. And, and, and if we find something for you, great. And, and basically I just kind of like showed up, but not really like, cause I was just, I just finished Drake and Josh. I was in sort of the depths of being a total cliche. And I just was like, sort of, I'd show up late and I was unreliable. I wasn't present because I just was being what I thought was, was a normal kid. And I remember the first couple of days of shooting went well and we're, we're sitting watching a monitor and Judd says, Oh, you know, I'm working on this other film. You should come by and maybe we can find a part in there for you too. And I was like, Oh yeah. What's it called? And he's like, "Ah, that's cut super bad. And I was (laughs) like, yeah, yeah. I'll try to make it. I didn't make it. I oh never my made God. it. It's Why fine. didn't you make I, it? I, I Did like, you feel like I like living in an apartment? No, I'm kidding. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> why? Why didn't you make it? What what got in your way? Me. <laughs> but how did you why like what about you got in your way? Did you feel like you didn't want to be this funny guy anymore? Like you wanted to do more whackness type roles? There's probably all of that. That and yeah. also just like I'm sure I meant to go and then you know, somebody of mine was like, do you want to go do drugs in my basement? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds better. Right. <laughs> but, right. and so basically I, you know, and, and basically I, I I just squandered the opportunity so much so that I just got an email, I remember, finally from Judd after being, showing up late a lot. And I wasn't a monster. I just was a bummer, you know? Yeah. And I got an email from him just kind of saying like, this is not acceptable and and it'll never be acceptable anywhere. Like here yeah. or anywhere else, because you cost us time and money when you're late and you you don't show up, and and yeah, and and since then I, I you know thankfully I've been able to make an amends and and he's been incredibly cool and 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 was incredibly cool then I just was not in the position to take advantage of the opportunity and also to show up and do a good job and it took moments like that for me to to lead up to me finally being like oh I can't continue to do this otherwise I'm going to set my whole life on fire. I mean, yeah, that's a huge like learning <laughs> opportunity there. Totally. I mean, I can't believe that. Jeez, but you guys made made up like he knows that you're sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I really want to figure out a way to like I don't because I I, I want to do something for him, but it's not like I want him. I don't want to work in one of his movies just because then he'd be doing something for me. So I'm like, right. I want to work for you in one of your movies, but not on screen. Like, can I like run the snack table? Can I get you just bottles of water? Like, what do you need? 
So I'm just be his assistant. Yeah, for a couple <laughs> weeks, a month, whatever he needs. I, I'd be happy to. I'm great at errands. That's great. I mean, that's a really. I, I can't believe you missed out on Superbad. <laughs> Who knows? I, I might have just been an extra, or I might have been incredible in it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you never know. You just don't know. <laughs> you just don't know. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always find the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And they're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N U U L Y.com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So let's talk about like some advice you would give a former Josh or a younger Josh. So what, I don't know, maybe this is advice you would give a a Josh when he's still in Drake and Josh, or maybe he's advice, advice you would give Josh when he's not showing up on sets to Judd Apatow (laughs) um, movies. What kind of advice would you give looking back at, you know, the last 20 years, like you said? I mean, everything, everything in my life, like I never learned anything on a good day. I always had to sort of, I guess you'd say like pain has been a great motivator for me. So I wouldn't do anything to inhibit me hitting like an emotional bottom because I had to be sick and tired to finally lose weight. I always want to say that to anyone who's dealing with their own issues with diet or uh, because I, I know how painful it can be to be in that place where you're just like, I've tried it my way so many times and it's not working. And I also want to say, if you are sick and tired and utterly over it, it's a great place to start. And like, congratulations. Like that's a great place to build the foundation for a new life or maybe just like a new tomorrow. And Mm -hmm. so for me, like I wouldn't do anything to inhibit me from those moments because I had to get utterly pissed to finally make a change. But if I was talking to 13-year-old Josh, I would just tell him how great he is. 
I just loved the hell out of that kid because I was just, there was so much bad feedback going on and in between my ears. And, and I had my mom, you know, telling me how great I was, but I couldn't really listen. So yeah. I think- You don't want to hear that when th- you don't believe it. Oh yeah. Even now my mom gives me compliments. I'm like, it doesn't matter coming from you, but I, I do appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> you feel like that younger Josh really needed to hear that though? Yeah. Especially from an older guy. I mean, and, and if like a 35 year old clone version of him came down and started talking to him, I'm sure he'd be like, I'm going to need to hear something good. And, that, and I, what I would tell him is one day you're going to be able to play John Stamos's son on a show. And so don't, don't trip because things are going to work out. It's amazing. You're going to be able to pass for young Stamos. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so are you, so your book is about happy people being annoying, but like, are you happy? Are you annoying? Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> annoying. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly happy now. I just had to define what happiness was for me. Right. Yeah. Do you still feel attached though to this persona of a guy who lost weight? Or do you feel like this is the last time you're going to be talking about it? I would love for it to be the last time. It's a great question. I don't know. Like I've certainly gotten some tweets where people have been like, stop making your weight loss your identity. And I'm like, I, I would be more than pleased to not talk about it. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I think I, you know, much like when I was heavier, I always felt like I had to make the joke first. Now, sometimes mm-hmm. I'll bring it up because I feel like people want to talk about it. But mm-hmm. a, more than a few people have been like, oh, you were overweight. And I'm like, what? Where have you been? And they're like, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't know that. I, and so I have to remember that too, that I think eventually right. it'll find its own kind of, you know, healthy sort of resting point. And maybe it won't be as big of a thing. Right. Do you think that having a son plays into it? Like, how do you go about being a parent to your son, having this sort of identity I don't know if it's a shift, but just something about your identity that you have with weight loss and stuff like that. I don't know if my weight loss stuff affects him. I mean, I don't know for you, but I, you know, like I grew up where like I've had to learn how to love healthy foods and, but now it's like totally second nature. Like my mom, and I, I don't think I'm saying anything out of, out of school here, but if I am, uh, love you mom. But like she, she, will go on food plans and whatnot. But if she's allowed like a certain amount of protein for the day, like, you know, uh, four ounces of protein, let's say, she'll be like, I'm either going to have that in the form of steak or chicken wings. And I'm like, yo ma, there are healthier, less calorically dense options. And she's like, nah, 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 nah. Miss me with that tofu that does not taste good. But like I now, like I can totally get off eating a, a kale brown rice salad. And it doesn't feel, I mean, it's got to have the right dressing. Let's not be crazy here. But, you know, and and so I hope that I can sort of give him those, um, just model for him um, a little bit healthier eating than maybe I saw growing up. Right. More nutritious, you're saying. Yeah. And just like not making food, but we've also learned a lot, right? Like, yeah. What about growing up with, like, did your parent ever tell you to to finish your plate or you had to finish before you got to have more food, which was dessert? 100% 100% I had I've always been like anxious around wasting food or anything like that because that that was like my parents mentality so I always finished everything because I they made me sort of feel like you know you're not going to get again like it again kind of and yeah the desserts always on the pedestal 
But I definitely agree. Like thing, the conversation around food has definitely changed for parents. I think that we have different tools than our parents did. Right. And I think also part of it is not making food such a thing. Like when it's totally. constantly talked about, that's all you're that's all you're teaching your kid to think about. But when you're just kind of saying like, oh, it's you know, you could have a snack, you could have this, it's you know, but just sh- like modeling good decisions over a long period of time, mm. I think that makes the biggest impact. But also not telling them to finish everything. But then again, my kid's only six months. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's it's going to be so it's so fa- fabulous, especially not every kid, but. It's fascinating watching kids when they're not dealing with a lot of the triggers of why we eat generally, but they're truly just eating for, you know, um, to be satiated. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, my son will have something like positively delicious, like grilled cheese and fries. And I'll have like a quarter of it and be like, that's it. And I'm like, no, 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 this is epic right here. Like this is not to be left on the plate. And he's like, but I'm full. And I'm like, yeah, great. I, that's you know, it. it's a new idea for me, but for you, I'm glad that that's a part of your identity now. <laughs> exactly. No, I love that. All right. Is there anything else that you want a listener to take from your book or, you know, just one thing that, or one piece of advice you want our listeners to take from that? Oh my gosh. I mean, if, if some of these listeners are, 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 you know, fellow travelers like me, dieters, I'd say like, take it easy on yourself. Live to fight another day. I I wish I had a hack. I wish there was something that I could give people because I know how badly I wanted it at, at, you know, at the time I was really tackling my food stuff. But there isn't all these sort of age old ways of doing it are still true to this day. And, And you'll do it when you're ready. You know, like, don't let the world pressure you into it. Like, I had to be you know, good and over it to finally take my steps out of that. So Mm -hmm. I think you're all gorgeous. (laughs) Okay, we have one more thing, and it is called DST Confessions. And it has nothing to do with food. So I need you to confess, Josh, and I'm going to confess mine. What was your favorite show growing up. It's not that scandalous, but is there something embarrassing that you watched that you were obsessed with? Oh my can gosh. Be, it can be a Nickelodeon. doesn't Gro- have to be. Growing up, did you watch Bug Juice on Disney Channel? Um, No, I didn't, oh but my. I think it sounds familiar. It was the first kids reality show at a camp in like, oh, Connecticut. Oh yeah, I did watch that. Or like, I don't know, Massachusetts. I, I forget what it was called. And it was a reality show. And I just remember, I thought it was so lit. I was 11 years old. It was on the <laughs> Disney Channel. And like one of the kids was like, you know what? We have dances sometime. Like sometimes every weekend we'll have a dance at, at camp and we grind. Like the girls <laughs> and guys grind. And I was like, man, I want to grind one day. Remember <laughs> camp and grinding? <laughs> oh my God. I totally remember going to camp and having to ask my friends to teach me how to grind. <laughs> <laughs> like that actually happened. And like we were doing that. Um, that's great. I have a few favorites. My Nickelodeon favorite. You know, besides Amanda's show, besides Drake and Josh, I loved also um, all that, right? All that, great. All that, like the SNL of children. And I loved the slime show. What was it called? Oh, where Double Dare? With, no. Oh. They had to guess what was... Summer, Summer Sanders, Sanders was like, like the oh, host. figure it out. 
Figure it out. Oh my God. I was obsessed, obsessed with figure it out. I don't know why. I just Dude, love to figure it out. <laughs> I worked on this movie and called Red Dawn and this, um, this, his name is Todd and he was the assistant camera guy. So basically the first camera operator is the guy who holds the camera. And then the assistant is the one who's, who's, who's changing the focus, right? Making sure the camera's uh-huh. in focus. So we'd spend a lot of time together and I don't know how it came out, but like halfway through the movie, he goes, oh yeah. And, and my wife, you know, used to be an Olympian. Her name's Summer Sanders. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, it took you six weeks to tell me that? Like, I can't believe I've been she- standing next to a prince. Oh my God. Silver Sanders. I also can't believe I remember that name. Yeah. Right. She's, she's Nickelodeon, like Vanna White. There's some other Nickelodeon names you'll never forget. Like Lori Beth Dinberg. Yes. Yeah. Oh, the best. Mark Summers. So good. <laughs> Who, wait, who's Mark Summers? Mark Summers was like the host of Double Dare. What would you oh, do? Yes. He's like the, he's just like your yes. typical like white dad. <laughs> I remember. I just looked him up. His face is ingrained in my memory. He's the best. I met him in real life. He's lovely. Yeah, I also remember going to Disney to get slimed. Disney World, Nickelodeon Studios, slimed. But thank you so much, Josh, for joining us. This has been amazing. Please tell everybody all about where is your book sold? I'm assuming where books are sold. When does it come out? Give us all the details. The book comes out March 15th. You can get it at Amazon or Barnes and Noble and, um, and check out my podcast, Male Models, um, which is with me and my buddy Joe Volpes because we're both male models. <laughs> that is it for today's episode of Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm obviously going to be back this Thursday to answer your dear DST questions. Send them to DST at Betches.com. And guys, we're doing something crazy new. We have a hotline. Yes, a hotline. 1-800-DEAR-DST. No, that's not the phone number, but you can leave us a voicemail with your Dear DST and we are going to answer it. No longer do you have to listen to me guess your emotions through your email. We can play you speaking. We can play you feeling all the feelings. And the phone number is 646-688-4914. And again, at Star tomorrow, follow me at Aileen. Follow Josh at Shuapak, and we're always with you through thick and thick. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby, Stacey Wong, and Jorge Morales Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Be sure to follow at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and send us your emails to dst at betches.com. Betches.